0: Good morning, everybody. Hey, great to see all of you. This is the last uh, message in the series called Afterlife, and some of you are ready to put it into the afterlife, and uh, others of you are glad there's one more. I am because this is a a, a great uh, subject this morning. I hope you'll pull out your notes and uh, and a pen to write some stuff down. I'm going to break down a very uh, famous passage of Scripture that Jesus. Uh, talked about in Matthew 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to wish you had, Uh, but you can follow along on the screen or take some of the scriptures uh, uh, right off the notes there. But but I'm going to make you think today. Uh, We're going to actually do some kind of really serious teaching, and uh, I hope that this will be inspiring as we talk about uh, the time of Jesus's return to the earth. And ready or not, he is coming back. So let's pray. Now, Lord, we just ask you to teach us. We pray that this word will just come alive in our hearts, and we will anticipate your coming, and we will be motivated by it, and make it clear, in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to talk to you before I get started. I I had a friend that I talked to this week, and I said, you know, what difference is this making at all? I mean, we talk about the afterlife, but, but what difference does it make if, you're, if your family is falling apart or your relationship is breaking up or you can't pay the, the mortgage and you're going to lose your home or your children are freaking out? And I was thinking about it. It bothered me a lot. I was hoping that, that this is making a difference, that if we do set our sights on the realities of heaven and on the afterlife, that something is going to happen in us. And, and my friend said to me, Darren, I want to tell you that, that last week, when you listed out those four things that we can count on, it's just what has changed my life over the last four years. And he said, I, I can tell you what they are. Number one, I have peace uh, because my sight is set on heaven, I have peace. I know where I'm going. My future is secure. I have confidence that in the end, God wins. And I says, well, tell me about why that's such a big deal. And he said, well, you know, like my wife, for example, and, and my neighbor got into this huge argument. My neighbor is so contentious. And when it, it was done, my wife was was crying and she had, she was with tears. She goes, two years ago, that would have just set me off. I'd have been upset the whole day. I would have come home ready for World War III in my backyard, you know, But today I look at it with a different light. First of all, I know that God is in control and I have his peace in me. Number two, I have perspective. In the big picture of Jesus' coming back and in the big picture of my life with him, what does this small event mean in the big picture of things? Thirdly, I anticipate what God is going to do. I anticipate uh, this, this idea that one day he's going to make everything right. And everything that's happening, he's going to work out for my good. So I can't to see what good, <laughs> how good this turns out. And in the end, he goes, you know, my wife and I, we, we don't have to have it perfect in this life. We don't have to have the perfect neighbors because one day we're going to move into a perfect neighborhood and it's going to be perfect. And I thought, boy, isn't that great? And he says, you know what else? I am motivated not to fight with my neighbor, but to love my neighbor. And hopefully I'll lead him into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Now that is living with the reality of heaven in view. That's awesome. And so I want to talk a little bit about motivation and the motivation that we have to live in anticipation of, of not only being in heaven with Jesus when we die, but to live in anticipation of Christ's return. What if you had 40 days? I mean, what if you knew that in 40 days that moment would come and you would stand before the Lord? You know, the righteous are going to be standing before Him awaiting judgment for sin. The righteous are going to stand before Him awaiting a judgment of, of the rewards that they're going to receive for their service. But what if you knew that in 40 days you would really stand before Jesus? I know you that's impossible. You can't know uh, the day or the hour, Jesus said, of Christ's return. But just for making my point, if you knew you had a short period of time... Wouldn't that motivate you? I bet that you would be motivated to make sure that you were right with God. I bet you'd recommit yourself again, even if you knew that everything was just fine. Am I, are you hearing me? If you knew you had 40 days, wouldn't that motivate you to tell some people, like, look, you, I love you. I don't want to see you go through this terrible day that's going to come upon the earth. I want you to know Jesus Christ and to be with me in heaven. I think you'd be more motivated if you realize the urgency of the day. And so I want to talk about what are the signs of the Lord's return. And in light of of the days we live in, are we close? Now let's look at this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus is asked the very question, Lord, what will be the sign of your return? And then he begins uh, to list out the signs of the times. And it could be like he's talking to us. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. This is sometimes called the Olivet Discourse, where he, he, he gives this final message to his disciples. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anybody mislead you now. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many. then he starts to list some things. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. You'll hear about nation going to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom there will be famines and there will be earthquakes in many parts of the world. You know uh, Luke's gospel, Luke Luke twenty one, gives a parallel passage to this, and Luke adds a little more detail as he always does. Jesus said, There will be strange events in the skies, the signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Down here on the earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring of the seas and the strange tides. Can you say tsunami? And, and the courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate that they see coming upon the earth. People will be worried about the stability and the fragility and, and they'll, be, they'll be wondering what is the world coming to and the heavens are going to be broken up. Strange things, predictions of what's going to come our way from the sky. Now, all of this is only the first of the birth pains with many more to come. Now, we understand birth pains, labor pains. This means that as the the intensity and the frequency of the contractions, as the pains come, we know that the baby is soon to arrive. And so the the greater the frequency, he's saying, and the greater intensity of these events that happen, you know that the time is coming near. He says in verse 9, Then you will be arrested... And persecuted and killed, you'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. I don't think we in America realize that in the last hundred years around the world, more people have been martyred and killed for their faith in Christ than in any time in all of history. This is one of the most dark days uh, around the world for persecution of the Christian church. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear. They will deceive many people. Verse 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then he gives this final sign of the times, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the entire world. What a day we live in for that, so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So I just want to say, the signs of the times indicate, tell us, that the return of Jesus Christ is nearer than any bef- any time before in all of history. And I think Jesus' whole tone here is, I just want you to get it. I want you to understand this. I want you to, to see it, and I want you to, to have a, an idea of what is going to come. And he talks about the birth pains first, and then as we work through the chapter, verse 15, he talks about the beginning of a seven-year period of horrific tribulation that's going to come upon the earth, and it's inaugurated by the arrival of this person known as the Antichrist. Verse 15, I'll just give you the first part of this. The day is coming when you'll see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, a sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. I'm going to explain that in a minute, but that's a reference to a prophecy in Daniel about the arrival of the Antichrist and, and, and the desecration or the abomination that he will do in the future temple that will be built in Israel. This 15 through verse 30 is all about that seven-year period and the destruction that's coming. You can read it on your own. Verse 30, if it starts with the antichrist coming, verse 30 is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Verse 30, then at last the sign of the Son of Man, uh, the sign that the Son of Man is coming, you will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among the people of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so I want to just pause here because I think all of us have these little pieces like we see a tree here or a tree there. We have a hard time seeing the forest for all of the trees. And I want to just give, uh, in my view, uh, uh, the the overview, the the big picture sequence of chronological events that will happen. And what the Bible says... uh, will happen in the end times, the prophecies that that have been made. And so I'm just going to take you on a flyby through Scripture. This is the way I view it. Um, Other people have different views, but this is the way I, I view it. I believe the first event that kicks off the sequence of events that Jesus talks about here will be an event called the rapture of the church. There will be these birth pains leading up to this event called the rapture of the church where Jesus will snatch away And take with Him all of those true believers in Christ. The sequence will be that the dead who are in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet Him in the air. I want you to think about the significance an event like that would have on the earth. Not just the event itself, but think of the world without the influence of the people of Christ. And what that will be like, what will will become of this world when that influence is gone. The second thing that seems to happen uh, happens in Ezekiel 37 prophesies that the nations of the north, we don't understand all of that, but there will be a force in the north that will attack and, in, and there will be an invasion of Israel. Obviously, there will be nothing to hold that back, and that's going to occur. The crisis of those two first events will lead to the unveiling or the, or really the inauguration of a, a, of a man known as the man of peace. Scriptures say he'll be like one riding in on a white horse. I mean he won't have horns and a pitchfork and a tattoo of 666 on his head. He will be a good guy and people will say this is the man who will bring peace to the world. Never will there be a greater need for peace because there will be wars and threats and there will be all of these signs in the heavens and there will be such turmoil and fear because of these events. And in will come this man of peace and he will have solutions. He'll have a solution for the global economic crisis. He'll have a solution for the nation of Israel and for the Arab world, the epicenter of conflict. And he'll broker a peace treaty unimaginably with the nation of Israel and the Arab world. He will broker a peace accord that will allow the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, to rebuild a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which is unimaginable today. The site that is occupied by the second holiest site of all Islam, The Dome of the Rock Mosque sits there today. If if Orthodox Jews even approach that site, it sets off chaos in Israel. So Jesus is predicting that there's going to be a temple in that place. And the Antichrist creates this peace accord that allows this to happen. But midway through this seven-year period, he breaks that peace accord and he sets up some sort of sacrilegious object, an image of himself. He desolates the, this temple. In fact, the worship of God no longer can continue. And nobody, uh, nobody returns to worship the Lord. Something happens there, and the true intent of the Antichrist is revealed as he sets up a global world religion that revolves around himself. There will be a false messiah, one who will say he is truly the one we should follow. This false messiah will be none other than someone pretending to be perhaps even Jesus Christ himself saying I have returned as I've said now follow this one. And there will be great persecution for anyone who will not follow this leader and his religion. Obviously, at this moment, in the latter half of these three years, the Scripture talks about an incredible outbreak of cataclysmic events that will come upon the earth. Earthquakes, uh, terrible cosmic events from the sky. There will be all kinds of tsunamis and all kinds of of, um, wars and famines and diseases, the like the world has never seen. And then there will be this great final battle on the plains of Megiddo called Armageddon, where the nations of the world will come to fight against the Antichrist. Into that moment, somehow, the Lord will appear, the second coming of Jesus Christ, coming, as we read in verse 30, coming back to the earth with all of his followers and all of us who have gone to be with him, all the dead in Christ, we will come back with him and he will set up his kingdom upon the earth, literally fulfilling the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this will inaugurate a thousand year millennial kingdom, the reign of Christ upon the earth. After that brief period of time, it will enter into a next phase which the scripture describes and we don't understand all of it, but there will be what is called the new heaven and a new earth. Now, I can't explain all of that to you in the short time that we have, but this is a sequence of the chronology. And it's just so, it's so crazy and huge and enormous. And people would say, well, how can you even believe something like that? How... On what basis would you believe such a prophecy, especially when it has such amazing things? Well, first of all, you look back at the prophecy to see if anything that Jesus has said has already come to pass. So in the context of what I've just shared with you, if you go back to verse 1, let me tell you what Jesus is doing right before he shares this Olivet Discourse. He's with his disciples, and they're leaving the temple this is an incredible structure. In fact, it says in verse 1 uh, of chapter 24, Jesus is leaving the temple and the disciples are in awe. This is Herod's temple, really one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a place the historian Tacitus called a place of immense wealth. It was uh, literally mortared with gold. It was gold almost on every, uh, every uh, adornment. Uh, the stones, that, the foundation stones uh, are recorded to have been 110 tons apiece, 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. How they even moved those in that day. So these disciples are in awe of this incredible place that Herod had rebuilt, the original temple of Solomon. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know, he drops this bombshell. Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on another. Now, this blew the disciples' mind. I mean, this structure wasn't even finished yet. It, they were only 16 years into its final construction. Construction would continue for another 30 years, and this temple would not would be even greater. Uh, by AD 63, so 30 years after Jesus died, the temple was completed. And it was a magnificent, world-famous structure. But in AD 70, seven years later after its completion, the Roman general Titus would sack Jerusalem and would burn the city to the ground, killing thousands of people and scattering the inhabitants. And literally as he burnt the temple, they put wood uh, scaffolds around it to burn it to the ground. And as he did so, the gold melted out of all of the mortar and went into the cracks of all the rocks. And Titus gave the order, take every stone, one from the other, to retrieve all of that gold. And when he was done, not one stone was literally left standing on another. And that temple was gone. Now, if what Jesus predicted in the beginning of this passage has already come to pass in the first part, we have great reason to believe that what else he has to say will also occur. As we look at the birth pains, all of us can read that and say, well, you might as well have just put that in the front of the New York Times. I mean, that's just our world that we live in. What else can we see? You know, let me just say that this all revolves around this temple. And I think that's the hardest part because the temple does not exist in Jerusalem uh, today. And Jesus says, there's going to be a temple. There's going to be this moment where the Antichrist comes. And so it revolves around this. And we say, how could that be? in a place like Jerusalem? How could that be rebuilt? I don't know yet. Scripture says it's going to happen, but we are a lot closer today than we ever were. In fact, if you were to go back just a few years, in 1948, nobody understood this passage of Scripture because the nation of Israel didn't even exist anymore. And people would read this and they would say, we don't even understand what this means. But Jesus understood the future and look what he says in verse 32. He says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. The fig tree is a reference to the nation of Israel. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel in scripture. Take note and learn from what happens, he says, from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near. It is right at the door. You can say that with me. Right at the door. Now, 1948, if you were born then, you're about 65 years of age. Look what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Right at the door. So, knowing what we're like, and we're like, well let me count the dates here and when can I figure this out knowing that we're like that look what Jesus says next verse 32 however no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen so he warns you don't even bother trying to set a date you're not going to know if anybody says that they're wrong not even the angels in heaven or the son himself only the father knows but he's saying look at the signs of the times don't be oblivious I'll tell you this he says it's going to be like the days of Noah In those days, before the flood, the people were just enjoying their banquets and their parties, getting their children married, making plans for their lives, completely oblivious of what was going around right up until the day Noah entered the boat. The people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is how it will be, he says, when the Son of Man comes. Two men working in a field, one taken, the other left. Two women working at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. So he says, when you see the birth pains, when you see the signs, when you see this coming into view, you too must keep watch for you don't know the day when your Lord is coming. Now in the original Greek, that actually means you don't know the day when your Lord is coming. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't know, so he says, keep watch. Understand this, if you knew the day the burglar was going to break into the house, you would not allow him to do that, you'd keep watch. Verse 44, so you must be ready all the time, for when the Son of Man comes, he will come when least expected. This is so fascinating. This is really talking about that event called the rapture. So he's saying, you know, here, let me, let me just throw this back and just kind of give you a, a roadmap here. Verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, the temple will be destroyed, done, fulfilled, Verses 4 through 14, the birth pains. Here are going to be the signs of the times. Verses 15 through 31, the Antichrist inaugurating the tribulation, Jesus Christ returning. This generation, verse 32, is going to be the generation that sees those things start to happen. The the end is right here. And then he says, You're not going to know the day of the hour, he'll come when least expected. And he's talking about now, he says, when you see these birth pains, and he says, there's going to be this event called the rapture that's going to take place. What is that? What's this misunderstood and controversial, you know, teaching? Half of Americans still believe in this, by the way, but let me explain a definition. Uh, Mark Hitchcock wrote a book called Could the Rapture Happen Today? And here's the definition that I think was excellent. Let me just put it on the screen. The rapture of the church is a future event when Jesus Christ will descend from heaven, to resurrect the bodies of departed believers, to transform them and translate them uh, of living believers immediately into his glorious presence in a moment of time. And he will escort them to live in heaven with him forever. That's a very simple, straightforward definition. This is a sudden event where Jesus calls those who are his from the grave and those who are alive and who remain, the dead in Christ first, And then the rest who are caught up to meet him in the air. Two events. The stealth coming of Jesus where he snatches his believers away to remove them and preserve them from the time of judgment coming upon the world. And then a return after the seven years in all of his glory, this time public and in full power. Now, I believe it's really the event of this rapture that creates the world crisis that allows the world to be unified for a brief moment where... The Antichrist will take his rule. Up until this this point, how could that possibly be in our factitious world? And yet at 9-11, when we were attacked, this whole country unified in a moment for a brief period of time. And so it will be with the whole world. Now the critics of the rapture will say, well, you know, you won't even see this word in the Bible. Well, you know, let me just talk about that if that's you. You know, um, there's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible for scriptural truth that we understand, but we we try to find a word to wrap around our, our our vernacular our vocabulary like the word trinity is not in the bible but but we believe that there's a mystery the father and the son and the holy spirit and so we use an english word trinity to explain this is what that is in fact you won't even find the word bible in the bible for that matter right so but but it's a word that we use to describe something that we know to be true so let me just show you where this comes from another passage in 1 corinthians chapter 15 This is another passage where Paul describes this. I I tell you this great mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Darren, do you have any other scriptures uh, like that? Is there any place else that talks about this? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? (laughs) Let me give you uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, Verse 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be, look at this word, caught up. Caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. That word caught up in the original Greek is this word, it's harpazo, meaning caught up, snatched up, taken away, ascended up into the air. Well, when they translated the Greek Bible into Latin, you know what that word got translated into? Rapturos. And when they translated Latin into English, rapture. That's all it means. I just cleared something up for you. It's that simple. And so you see this word, that we will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. Darren, did this ever happen to anybody? Is there any prototype of this? Or is this just something that we're imagining? I'm glad you asked that too. Because in the scripture, there are people this occurred to. I mean, in the book of, of Genesis, there's a man called Enoch who walked with God in days that were very dark and rebellious. And it says, he walked with God and the Lord took him. And uh, he disappeared. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 5. He was taken to heaven without dying because God took him. Just like that. That's how I want to go. So do you. Another person, Elijah the prophet, 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah and Elisha are walking together. And the Lord comes and descends and takes, in a whirlwind, takes Elijah to heaven. Is there anything in the New Testament, Darren? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus himself, in a sense, was raptured. Because you figure, figure he, he died, he rose again, he's teaching his disciples for 40 days, he's standing on the, on the same Mount of Olives, and he's giving them the Great Commission, and he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then he ascends up into heaven. Do you know what the word ascends in that passage? Do you know what word that is? harpazos Rapturos. Rapture. Let me just show you yourself. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up, there's that word, into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. They strained to see him rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you up into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And ready or not, he is coming back. And when he comes back, these scriptures tell us that up until that moment, it will be like Noah's day. People will, you know, the the world will be in chaos, people just living for themselves, and people really oblivious, just planning their own world, marrying, partying, doing whatever they want, and it will come upon them quickly. And this whole picture of the flood and the ark, God gave it to us as a prototype or as a picture of what was to come. Because in Genesis 6, we we hear about this world that was overflowing with evil, like a septic tank, overflowing with evil. And God tells Noah to build an ark where he is going to rescue the righteous. Noah built what God told him to build to a chorus of mockery. And... They laughed at the crazy prediction that judgment was coming and that the Lord was making a way to rescue the righteous and then judgment would come. The specific sign of the end times is that people will mock the idea that Jesus will return for his faithful ones and then the judgment will come. Second Peter, there's a verse that talks about, here is this Jesus you say he's coming back. You've said this for so long and The scriptures say, well, he's not slow, as some consider people being slow. He's just giving time that all people should come to repentance. And so that's why in verse 44 it tells us, you need to be ready at all times, for the Son of Man, he will come when least expected. When I was a little boy growing up with this in the back of my mind, I knew this all my life, and... My mom and dad taught this to us when we were little, that Jesus was coming soon. And I remember one morning, it was a Saturday, and it was, I was about seven years old. And uh, we lived in the islands, and I guess this new cruise ship had come into the harbor. And my family, who had gotten up before me, had decided to go down and get down, walk out of the house and go down the street through our backyard to see this new massive cruise ship come into the harbor. Well, I awoke, came wandering out into the kitchen and the breakfast is on the table and the coffee is steaming and nobody's there, the TV was on and the beds were all unmade and I went to every room in that place and I went, oh no, the rapture I've been left behind and I oh Jesus, you know, and I was crying and I was upset and I had this terror and then they were all standing in the backyard terrorizing a poor child, why didn't you get me? just for that I think the Lord will hold them back five minutes, you know serves them right when he comes again. Now, I, ever since a little kid, I've been, telling, I've been living with this anticipation about, you know, the Lord, he's coming back. And are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready for that day when He will come back? Because we're living in those days. And I know there's people who say, well, you know what, I don't know if this is all going to happen. I mean, if it does, you know, and it happens, well, then I'll just, you know, in that tribulation period, I'll make it right with God. And I want to say, listen, if you can't live for God now, in this day, with all of this support and all the Christians here, what makes you think you're going to be faithful to the end in that day? Well, Darren, when I hear that trumpet sound, I'll pray real quick. I mean, I'll repent, you know super fast. Well, you know, that says it's a twinkling of an eye, not a blink, a twinkling. That's like one one thousandth of a second. So you better be real fast. That's all I'm saying. You better be quick. How quick are you going to be? Because you know, the scripture says one will be taken and another will be left. You want to get right or you'll be left. Listen, God wants every person to come to him. I want every person in this room through the, my goal in this whole series was that you would live with eternity in view, that you would no longer just go through life like everybody else, like the days of Noah, just living oblivious, just kind of watching the world, feeling the anxiety of watching the world come apart, but not really paying attention. Jesus said this, you know how to read the signs and the weather, but you don't understand the signs of the times. I don't want that to be so for you. I want you to be able to anticipate, well, first of all, I want you to have the peace of Christ in your heart, because I don't fear any of that, that stuff, you know. I don't fear the end times. I don't because I know where I'm going, and I know that Jesus is going to preserve His righteous uh, His righteous uh, elect. And I also have a sense of perspective on the problems of today that He's going to make it right. And I anticipate His coming, and I'm motivated to tell as many people as possible that He is coming again soon. Are you ready for Christ's return? I hope you are, because I just want to say, you know, really plainly that if if you miss that this will be the most regretful day of your life and you will be it'll be the saddest worst day of your life and the worst days that will ever come upon the world and so every person should be motivated now to say jesus christ i want to follow you see i know where i'm going not because i'm a great person i'm a wonderful person um I'm just a sinner like you are. But I came to a point in my life where I said, Jesus Christ, you're going to call the shots. I'm going to trust you and your righteousness for my salvation. Have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ and decided to follow him? I hope you have. I want to pray for you now. And if there's anyone here who's not certain, who's not sure, who wonders, or you have anxiety about the future, you don't have to anymore. You can make your peace with Christ today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how clear and plain it is. It's simple. I thank you, Lord, we stand uh, humbled before it. And I pray now for every person who has heard this message and feels the conviction of your spirit in your heart that they would would humble themselves before you. I, I want you to make a stand in your heart for Christ today. I want you to say, Jesus Christ, I admit to you, I'm a rebellious person. I do whatever I want. I acknowledge you with my mouth maybe, but I don't do what you say. And today I'm sorry for that. And I acknowledge that you will be the Lord of my life from this day forward. I accept what Christ did for me. I'm grateful that he died for me. And I want to I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I ask him to forgive me. And I will follow him from this day forward. And I'm looking forward for him coming again to take me to heaven. And if that's you, would you just say, Yes, God, that's me. Holy Spirit, every person that prayed that prayer, may they may they just acknowledge you, not only before Uh, you in their heart, but today will they acknowledge you before men and make it clear that they're going to follow you. I ask this in Jesus' name.